Good morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. My name is Paul Hamm. I'm the Church Start resident here at Urban Village Church, Wicker Park. I'm also one of the pastors. It is my joy to be here with you this morning, and I am so glad that you have uh, joined us for our Easter Sunday service. I don't know how you ended up here. Uh, maybe a family member invited you. Maybe someone dragged you. Or maybe this is one of the two times of the year that you come to church, Christmas and Easter. No shame in that. That's all good. I truly believe that we are gathered here today, and it's not coincidence, and it's not uh, strange circumstances, but that we are here today because uh, we are here to celebrate the resurrection, the life, and the new hope that Jesus Christ brings. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Good and gracious God, we are gathered here today, and as we meditate on this familiar yet ancient story, would you show us, would you reveal to us how this ancient story of death and resurrection applies to us here and now today. Would you show us how this story is not something about um, a tale that happened in the past, but it's a story that has relevance and that is alive and is working in our lives here and now today. So we ask that we would open our hearts, we would open our minds, that we would open our spirits, and that we would allow you to work within us today. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of months ago, I heard a story on Radiolab. Any Radiolab fans here? All right. So you may have heard this one. It was called Black Box. And Black Box was, uh, a black box is something when it goes inside this black box, you don't know what's happening on the inside. Now, this can be a literal black box, or it can be a metaphorical black box. Now, the third segment of Radiolab Black Box was called Goo and You. And Goo and You was about the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. And as I was listening to this a few months ago, I thought, oh, this is perfect. I bet I can get something for my Easter sermon from this story. And Radiolab has never failed to disappoint me. And it, they, they totally didn't in this story. And so they go on to tell about how a caterpillar is hatched from a little egg, from a butterfly egg. And the caterpillar will eat and eat and eat. And it will just grow bigger and bigger and bigger until it reaches its full size. Once it reaches full size, it will shed its skin for the last time. And it, when it sheds its skin, what's inside is what they call the chrysalis. And it's this hard skin layer, and it will cover the caterpillar from head to toe, and it'll form into this shell. Now, inside the chrysalis, the caterpillar will stay in there. In the, it depends on the species. In the monarch butterfly, it's as short as two weeks. I think some species of moths or butterflies, it can be in the chrysalis stage for years. But the caterpillar will stay in there for about two weeks, and then finally it will burst forth from the chrysalis, and it will emerge as a butterfly. Transformation from this gross, crawly thing. I, I originally was going to have a picture of a caterpillar up there, and I thought, I don't have to look at it, but you have to look at it. And if you're like me, you're going to be grossed out by it. So I nixed the caterpillar picture from this gross kind of slimy thing into this beautiful flying creature. 
Now, I always assumed that when the caterpillar enters inside the chrysalis, it's like working out in there, it's shedding some weight. And so, because if you look at a butterfly, it's, it's not just a caterpillar with wings, it's kind of like long and spindly. So I thought the caterpillar's working out there, and it's like growing these wings out of its back. I thought that's how it worked, you know? Very scientific. So the reporter and the scientist, they went, to ex they went in to examine, to study, well, what's going on inside the chrysalis? And so the scientist takes a scalpel and carefully cuts open the chrysalis, and inside they found nothing. There was no caterpillar inside. There was no butterfly inside. There was just this pale, yellow, white, greenish goo. And when they cut a little bit further, bloop, it kind of popped open. And the reporter was like, uh, what happened? Where's the, caterp where's the caterpillar? Where's the butterfly? The scientist went on to explain that once the caterpillar forms the chrysalis, these enzymes will begin to break down the caterpillar's tissue. It will completely dissolve the caterpillar into this goo. Now, inside this goo are these tiny embryonic cells called imaginal disks. These imaginal disks existed inside the caterpillar, but it's microscopic. And these imaginal disks, once, if, once the goo forms, will become the wings, the legs, the antenna, the eyes, the brains, all of the adult organs of the butterfly, but they're kind of swimming and floating inside of this goo. And from there, this caterp the caterpillar will emerge into a butterfly. So I always thought that the old thing sort of wills itself to become something new, but in order for the caterpillar to become the butterfly, it must be completely deconstructed, and from that deconstructed matter, it will become reconstructed into something entirely new. But it's still reconstructed from that old matter. And as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about this process of deconstruction and reconstruction, I began to think about what does it mean to experience death and resurrection. In our scripture reading today in Luke chapter 24, it says that three women, they went to visit the tomb of Jesus. He had been dead for three days. They went to lay some spices on his body. They get to the tomb. They find that the, tomb, the big stone has rolled away. They look inside. There is no dead body in there. Instead, they find two angels. Now, different accounts of the Gospels have different accounts of what happened and how it happened. Uh, for our purposes, they find two angels. And the angels say, well, why are you looking for the dead? Uh, Jesus is risen. And then the angels, they remind the two women of something that Jesus had said earlier again and again and again. They said, don't you remember that Jesus said that he must be captured, he must be crucified, that he must die, and then on the third day that he will rise again? See, Jesus actually said this over and over throughout his ministry. From the beginning of his ministry up until the last day of his ministry, he always talked about this idea that he would one day have to die 
and out of his death that he would be reborn again. Now, this completely perplexed his disciples. They had no idea what Jesus was talking about. Um, it was just one of those crazy parables, those crazy things that Jesus talks about that nobody really understands. Um, it's one of those things in the Bible that nobody really gives traction to either. But Jesus constantly talked about death and rebirth. And the reason is, is because for Jesus, he understood that in order to experience new life, in order to experience growth, in order to experience new strength, in order to achieve greater things, in order to experience greater success, all of that had to come at the cost of some type of death. And so famously, Jesus says in John chapter, uh, in the book of John, he says, a kernel of wheat remains just a kernel of wheat. But when that kernel of wheat dies and is put, in, put into the ground and buried, that kernel of wheat can give new life. The way that we are, the way that we exist, it, it's just all we are. But it's only through the process of pain and death and struggle and frustration and anger and bitterness and hopelessness. When we experience what seems like a death, it is only born of that deconstructive circumstance that we can experience new life and resurrection. Now, deconstruction, it can happen one of two ways. We can will ourselves to deconstruct. So the famous author, Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote in one of his books, he said that in order to gain mastery at a particular skill or talent, in order to become a professional at something, you have to put in 10,000 hours. So whether you want to be a hockey player, a chess master, an artist, whether you want to be a lawyer, a doctor, you got to put in at least 10,000 hours. Now, when I think about those 10,000 hours, that's 10,000 grueling hours of studying, retraining, breaking old habits, learning new skills, of practice, 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 practice. It's the process of deconstructing our natural selves so that we form new abilities. Now, we can will ourselves into deconstruction. And after that hard sweat is, and all that work is done, it, the payoff is that you gain this new ability. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, me personally, I don't like to will myself into deconstruction or 10,000 grueling hours of gaining skills and abilities. Even though that's one way we can do deconstruction, the other way that deconstruction happens in our lives is it just happens. We're living our lives. We're just happy. We're hanging out with our friends and our family members. And you get a phone call saying that a family member is ill and your world is rocked. You're at work and your supervisor calls you in and says, hey, sorry, we're going to have to let you go. And your world is rocked. You are in middle school or in high school and you just can't shake this feeling that you're just not like the other boys and the other girls. You're not thinking and feeling the same things that everyone else is thinking and feeling. And then you come to a realization, and your world is just rocked. 
you're not feeling well and you get that medical report back and the doctor tells you that, that you have something and your world is just absolutely wrecked. You're in a relationship and you think everything is going well and then one day it's just not. And your world is just absolutely wrecked. It just gets rocked. See, deconstruction, while we can will it to happen, a lot of times it just happens to us. And when you're in that deconstructive process, it feels like you are nothing but a puddle of pale yellow white goo. There's no shape. There's no form. There's no meaning. And you sort of lose all strength that you have and you even lose your will to live, and you start questioning, and you're feeling anxiety, and you're struggling. And you don't know what to do. It's death. It's death. The Apostle Paul, he says in Romans chapter 8, he says the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I don't know how that happened. I don't know the details of how that happened, but it's irrelevant. Paul says the power that raised Christ from the dead, that same spirit, that same power, that same force, that same thing that's unexplainable, he says, is alive and working within you and is available to you and is working within you right now, especially when you feel like you're just a puddle of goo and you're an absolute mess. Paul says that power of resurrection to bring Christ back from the dead is alive and working within you and me right now. See, here's the power of this Easter story. Now, some people love to talk about the historical accuracy of Easter, or they want to go through 10 bullet point argument sermons about how Easter happened and all the details of how this miraculous thing occurred 2,000 years ago. I'm not interested in how it happened because to me, the power of Easter story is that it happens all the time, and it's happening right now. Regardless, I don't know where you are in your life, in your circumstances right now, but Easter is happening within you right now. You may not feel it. You may feel like total crap right now. But that power that raised Christ from the dead is working within you right now. I had, um, I know... I know a man and a woman, and they told me a story. She said that when she, she got married when she was in college. And so she got married at like 19 or 20, maybe 21. And her husband was also like around that age. Uh, two young star-crossed lovers, they get married. And she said very quickly on in their marriage, it turned out that this guy was totally abusive. And when she finally gained the strength from her family members and her friends to leave that abusive relationship, uh, she was like, what am I going to do? My life is a wreck. It, it, it's, a, it's a total mess. And never mind the, the, the damage to her, her own self-esteem. To be a woman, and, this, and we're talking like this is already like 35, 40 years ago, that um, this, the social stigma that she placed upon herself, she just felt absolutely wrecked. A guy was telling me that he too got married when he was young, and uh, 
he didn't realize this, but his wife was suffering from a mental illness. And one day he came home from work. It was his birthday. And he found that uh, his wife had taken her own life on his birthday. And so he too, his marriage was over. And he was completely wrecked. Somehow this, this young woman and this man, they, they, they found each other. Two people absolutely broken. And they found each other. They got married. And she said, and we have been together for over 30 years. We have two children. And it hasn't always been sunshine and rainbows. But I found the love of my life. As I heard that story, I thought, the, the story began with death. The story began with loneliness, with anger, confusion, and frustration. But that wasn't the end of the story. The power that brings dead things back to life is Christ working within them to bring them to where they are now. Death. But there's always resurrection. Death is not the end. I had a youth group student. Uh, he was sharing a, a testimony at youth group, just like how Emma was sh sharing uh, earlier. And he was standing in front of the youth group. There's probably like 150, 200 kids. This guy was uh, uh, the worship leader. He was one of the leaders of the youth group, super happy, bright, shiny sort of guy. And he shared that when he was 14 years old, um, he was an immigrant living in the US. He didn't really speak English. He'd go to school. The kids would tease him, make fun of him. He had no friends. His parents worked 14, 16 hours a day. His parents weren't home. And every single day, he would sit at home, and he would feel absolutely lonely and abandoned. He, felt, he said he felt like there was this hollowness, this hole, this emptiness inside of his chest at 14. And he said he just felt so numb to life that he didn't care about anything that he would harm himself by cutting himself on his arms so that he would feel something. At this point in his testimony, I was like, oh, brother, you should have worked out the details of the story before you started sharing to a bunch of middle school kids. He said he just wanted to die, and he contemplated suicide again and again and again in the dark place of his life. And then someone just dragged him to church, and he said he hated church. He hated the standing up. He hated the sitting down. He hated the singing. He fell asleep through all the sermons, which were my sermons, right? But he said the older brothers at church just kept dragging him to different youth group events, kept taking him out to lunch, kept talking with him. And he said slowly he began becoming integrated into this community. And he said, I am standing here before you three years later. And he said, I have never found such an authentic uh, friendship, love, and community that I have with all of you. And he's speaking to these youth group students. And I can, uh, can I tell you, you could hear a pin drop in that room because those kids that were sitting there that day, they had no idea that this guy had been through hell and he'd been raised back to life. It's the power of Christ. Death is not the end. But resurrection always happens when life seems absolutely hopeless. I'll share one last story, and it's my own story. Um, I didn't share this at the first service because I was like, oh, I'll play it by ear. I'll share with you uh, today. 
a couple years ago, maybe we're talking five years ago. Um, I'm a pastor in the United Methodist Church. I've been, I'm in year 13 of being a pastor in the United Methodist Church. I've always served in a traditional congregation. I have a robe and I have all that stuff too. About five years ago, I was serving at a church and I've, I just started going through some crazy theological shifts. Uh, you've probably heard my story. I grew up in a very conservative evangelical church community. I was a very conservative evangelical pastor. And then, um, you know, my best friend comes out to me and he says I'm gay. And then I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, I begin having all sorts of questions and doubts like Emma was talking about, about the Bible, because it was just a book full, filled with messed up people doing messed up things. And we hold it as the holy book. And I had all these questions and doubts, and I didn't even know if God was real. And I think this is the point in most people's stories when they say, yeah, and so I stopped going to church. But when you're a pastor and you're preaching 50 weeks out of the year and you're wearing the robe, you don't get to say, you know what, I'm going to stop going to church. Because when you do that, then the paychecks stop coming in, right? I got bills to pay. And so uh, pastor's life uncensored, right? <laughs> I hated my life. I hated my life. I hated who I was. I felt like a fraud. I felt like I was not honest. I hated everything that I represented and everything that people saw me as. People saw me as this pastor. They had all these expectations on me, and I didn't want to meet any of it. And so I remember uh, maybe about two years ago, uh, I was, you know, I'm just plugging away and grinding away. I was lying in uh, the floor of my bedroom. The lights were turned off, and um, I was just lying there. And I had this thought in my mind. I thought, I would rather be dead than do what I'm doing for the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. It was at this time that um, I began thinking, why does church have to be this way? Why do I have to keep pretending to believe in certain things and, and, and propagate certain values? Why am I not allowed to express my doubts and my pains uh, without feeling judged? Why can't I bring my gay friend to church? I mean, my best man at my wedding, he was gay. And like there were all kinds of questions whether we can invite him to the wedding or not, you know? Um, why do I need to be at this church where I wear my robe every single Sunday and my life is sparkling clean like Joel Osteen when it's really not? <laughs> I don't have his perfect smile. But I began imagining it would be great if I could be a pastor at a church where I can invite my gay friend. It would be great to be at a church where um, people share the mess of their lives where the testimony does not end, and God fixed everything. I began to imagine what kind of church and community that would look like. And I remember thinking, well, that doesn't exist. Whatever, <laughs> right? But uh, here I am. I'm three-fourths uh, my way through my residency here at Urban Village Church. Um, it's been a wonderful, life-giving time since I've come to this uh, faith community. This is a faith community of resurrection because every single Sunday, regardless of who the preacher is, you're always going to hear a story of resurrection from one of the members of our congregation. 
You're going to hear the story of how people went from death and to new life and to resurrection. You're going to hear stories about how people felt insecure and ashamed, and then they were able to come out to themselves and come out to other people and to their family members and were able to experience new life and new hope. This is a church of resurrection, and I'm so glad to be here with you all today. And so uh, as we close, uh, I want to pray for uh, all of you here today, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. Uh, if you don't mind uh, holding hands with the person to the left of you, to the right of you, if you're sick, there are some sick people in the first service. I said, just touch elbows. Uh, if, you don't wanna, if, if you don't feel comfortable holding hands with the person next to you, that's all good. Uh, but I believe that the power of prayer is infinitely magnified when we're doing this together. If we can close our eyes and if we can bow our heads, I want to pray for those people who are here today who are living in the pale, yellow, white goo of their lives. For my brothers and sisters who are here today, and you're hearing this story of resurrection, and you are not feeling it. You feel like you're at the bottom of a pit. It is dark. It is lonely. It is frustrating. You're looking for that job. You're wondering why that relationship was broken. For my brothers and sisters who are feeling discouraged, for my brothers and sisters who are feeling like, I don't know how it's going to get better, I want to pray for you today. Lord Jesus, we are here uh, 2,000-something years later celebrating resurrection, but uh, for my brothers and sisters, some of us here today, uh, they, are, they are not feeling the resurrection, not yet, not right now. They're in the pale, formless, structureless goo of uncertainty, bitterness, anger, frustration. They are in the process of deconstruction. But this morning, God, I ask that the power of your Holy Spirit would manifest itself here in this place and that your spirit would take that deconstructed mess, that deconstructed goo, and I pray that your spirit would begin the process of Easter and new life here and now in this place. Would you begin to take that pale, formless uh, substance, and would you begin to form new life? Would you begin to create new opportunities? Would you begin to create new relationships? Would you be able to create new form and order and structure and meaning? from the darkest places, from our brothers and sisters who are struggling with mental illness and mental health issues, from our brothers and sisters who are grieving, from our brothers and sisters who are just so frustrated with their lives because they aren't where they felt like they should be. We ask that the power of resurrection would be made known here and now in this place. God, we believe that this is a church of resurrection and we need to experience a little bit more of it today. For my brothers and sisters who are soaring on top of the mountain, who have experienced your resurrection, who can tell the story of death and new life, I ask that you would encourage them, that you would ignite a spark within them to share that story of resurrection for somebody who needs it desperately today, to know that death is not the end, to know that brokenness is not the end, to know that confusion and despair is not the end, but that Jesus, that in you, there is always hope, there is new life. 
And we pray all of these things in the strong, in the healing, in the resurrecting power of your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.